your Bibles, if you would, while you're standing and open to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. It's easy to get our minds off of the most important things. And worldwide fame and houses and lands and all of these other things, but we're in a good place if we can honestly say and sing, I'd rather have Jesus than any of these other things. It's a good place to be. First Timothy chapter number two. Beginning in verse number one, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings. And for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ, and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Let's pray. Lord, we pray you'd bless the preaching of your word this morning. We've come today not to be entertained or just to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've come to worship you and we've come to learn. We've, we've, we've come to be encouraged and exhorted and even rebuked by your word. Help us, Lord, to, to listen on purpose, to be taught by you, to be instructed, Lord, and to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I was thinking, you know, some, some professional sports have started back up again and amidst the pandemic, but there are no fans. You may have heard this, they are playing in empty stadiums, but they're doing a couple of things to make it less awkward for the, for the athletes. One thing is they're piping in crowd noise, applause. So if some, someone does something great, they're still cheering, but there's nobody in the stands, clapping, all of those things. Another thing they're doing is they're having virtual fans. And so rather than people, fans in the, in the stands, people can sign up, and from home, if they, I guess if they win the, 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 the lottery for it, then they can have a camera on them, and they have these, these giant screens in the stands that look like little people sitting in their, they're actually in their homes, but they're cheering. So I, I had the thought that if it ever gets really dead in here, um, Aaron's got some amens and praise the Lord's queued up, maybe even some cheering if it gets really quiet. And for those of you that are at home, maybe afraid to get out still, we could just put a camera at home maybe and put screens out there and all of the seats. And so you could still be a part of the service. So these are just some things that we're mulling over. So pray with us about that if you would. <laughs> just kidding. But I am serious about the amens. If it gets quiet, Aaron, play that. <laughs> uh, we... A, couple, a few weeks ago, um, when we didn't have service, I, I taught from this passage from home, from our home, with the intent that it would be part one of a two-part message that I would resume the next week, and then we were forced to stay home the next week, and so now we're a few weeks later giving the second part of this lesson that was taught a few weeks ago, and so um, because of that, I'll spend a few minutes in a review 
That way, in case you forgot or you didn't hear or you weren't paying attention or anything like that, you can get caught up really quickly. Um, and, and basically, this passage that we just read is primarily about prayer and especially and specifically the prayer for the lost. And so when we taught on this a few weeks ago, we looked at four aspects of prayer from this passage. And we're going to review those today and then give the final two this morning. So I'll give all of them. If you want to jot them down, if you didn't before, you can. And I hope is, my, my hope and prayer this morning is that those of, you, those of you that are frequently discouraged by your own lack of commitment to prayer, your own frustration with, with not praying as you know you ought to pray, that this text will be an encouragement to, to you and to all of us to continue on in prayer. And so the first aspect of prayer that we saw from this passage a couple of weeks ago was, was this, the preeminence of prayer. Or you might say the priority of prayer. Paul begins, Paul the apostle is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, who he has left in Ephesus to uh, oversee the church there. And he's writing to him with some instructions about their church and how, how really how, how the churches ought to operate. And he begins his, this series of instructions that's going to follow in, in verse number one of chapter two to say this. I exhort therefore that first of all, Supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. First of all, he wanted Timothy to know that this matter of prayer in the church is a matter of utmost importance and priority. God has chosen the prayers of, of his people to accomplish his work of saving men and women all over the world. God has chosen that. Prayer is the most basic, the most elementary of all of the commands of Christians, all the things that we're to do, and yet it's the thing that perhaps more than anything else is a, a point of frustration for us. We don't pray as we ought to, knowing how simple it is. All we're doing is talking to God. How, how much more simple can it be? And yet we struggle to pray as we ought to, as consistently, as seriously, as focused as we know that we should. Prayer is a practice of foremost importance, and it ought to be given a high priority in the church and by the members of the church as well. Not only that, but we looked at the content of our prayers, which we also see in verse number one. I exhort that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. This is the content, supplications, prayers, intercessions giving of things. This is how we pray. Now, some of these come more easily than others. Supplications, for example, comes easy. When you hear of someone that has a need, it's easy to pray for that need. When you, when you hear that someone is sick, it's easy to say, I'll pray for you, and we pray for them. If you, if, you, if you know someone that has a financial need, it's easy to pray for them. If you have a need, it's easy to pray for your own needs. So that's supplications. But then we're also told to intercede. This is praying for spiritual needs, especially for the salvation of the lost. This is our prayer, intercession, giving of thanks. We're to give thanks for all things. This is the contents of our prayer, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. We prayed this morning for people who need the great physician's touch, who just need God. And that's important, but that's not our only type of prayer. In fact, that's not even the primary type of praying that we see in the Bible, is it? So we saw the content of prayer, our prayer, and then we saw the scope of our prayers, the scope. Who ought we to pray for? 
Look in verse 1 again. Chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for, what are those last two words? All men. We're to supplicate for everybody. We're to pray for everyone. We're to give thanks for everyone. We're to intercede for everyone. We're not to talk bad about those who rub us the wrong way, but instead we're to talk to God about them. Don't wish ill on them. Don't gossip or slander them, but instead pray for them. All people, I dare you to go home this afternoon and make a list of all the people that you don't like. All the people that really get on your nerves. Maybe people you work with, maybe people in government and politics. Don't let anyone see the list, especially if people that you live with are on the list. Make a list of all the people that you just really have a, a struggle with. And then spend some time praying for those people. Pray for them. Give thanks for those people. Pray for their needs to be met intercede spiritually on their behalf. Intercede for them that they would be saved if they're not and that they, were, they would have a spiritual awakening if that's what they need. And if you can't even bring yourself to do that, to make a, I know you can bring yourself to make a list. That's the fun part. But then if you can't bring yourself to pray for those people, then, then you've got a serious spiritual problem that needs to be repented of before you can move on. But we ought to pray. We're told to love everybody. And one thing that will help us to love everyone is to pray for them. If you pray for somebody, if you pray for your enemies, you'll find before long that they may not be your enemies anymore. Pray for them, everyone. But Paul says here especially that we're to pray for those that are in authority. For kings, verse 2, and for all that are in authority. We don't often want to pray for presidents and governors Maybe some presidents you do and some you don't. Maybe some governors you do and some you don't. We don't often want to pray for them. And often, if it's somebody that you disagree with, our only prayer is, God, please take them out of office. God, please help us to vote him out of office. But that's not the kind of prayer that we see here. That's not the prayer that Paul is talking about. Paul is interceding on their behalf for the souls of these people. That they would see the light of salvation. That's what we're going to look at. People in government have real power. Their decisions affect us. Their decisions affect us. I'm about to pray for them. Paul was persecuted under some of the most wicked kings ever to live. Wicked kings. Persecutors of Christians. He was in prison for preaching. He was writing to people, no doubt, who were persecuted. And he's telling them to do what? Pray for everybody. Intercede. Supplicate. Give thanks. Especially for those that are in authority. That's the scope of our prayers for all people. Fourthly, we talked about the motivation for our prayers. Verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority, here's the first motivation, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We're motivated to pray for those in authority in part so that we can live a life of peace, a life of quietness. Which, by the way, God says that we ought to seek after. First Peter says we ought to seek peace and pursue it. We ought to want peace in our life. If we have godly leaders in office, our lives will be more peaceful, won't they? 
If we have godly families, godly leaders in the family, godly fathers and mothers, then it's gonna, there's going to be peace in the family that there would not otherwise be. We ought to pray. Our motivation, one of our motivations to pray for the lost and to intercede for them is for our own peace and tranquility. Whether we agree with them or not. Proverbs 29.2, pastor talked about this some Wednesday night. When the righteous are in authority... The people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. We're motivated to pray for our leaders in order that we as Christians can live a life of peace and quiet. But also, we're motivated to pray. Notice the first four words of verse 3. For this is good. It's good to pray. It's good to pray. It's the moral thing to do to pray for all people. It's just the right thing to do to pray for those. Anyone can hate his enemies, but God calls Christians to something different, doesn't he? Anyone can talk bad and slander someone they don't like, but God calls his people instead to pray for them and to love them. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and... Pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. As Christians, we don't have the prerogative to love some and to hate others, to pray for some and to neglect others. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we are to pray for our enemies, love those that love us, and also love those that hate us. We're motivated to pray that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. We're motivated to pray just because it's good, it's the right thing to do. But thirdly, because it pleases God. Verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. We do a lot of things that are not pleasing to God, don't we? But this is one thing that we can do, and every single time we can, we can know with assurance that God is pleased when I pray for others, when I pray for my leaders, when I pray for those in authority, when I pray for my enemies, when I, when I intercede on their behalf that they would be saved from their sin, that they would see themselves as sinners and come to the knowledge of the truth. Every time we do that, God is pleased. So if you missed the lesson last time we taught, now you're all caught up. Now we're going to give two more aspects from the text. The, fir the first is the, the purpose of our prayer. You might say the goal of our prayer, but we're going to see clearly number four, what is the ultimate goal in these prayers. Verse four, who will, backing up to verse three, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. So we're talking about God, our Savior. Verse four, who will have all men to be saved? And to come into the knowledge of the truth. There are a lot of things we've got to pray for. We've got to pray for those that are sick. We talked about some today that need prayer. We know some that are, need financial help. We ought to pray for wisdom for those in government and those leaders. But first and foremost, we are to pray that for the salvation of the lost, that they will come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the primary goal of our prayers. It's the will of God that all men be saved. Don't you love verse 4? Who will have all men to be saved? All men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. It's God's will that everyone be saved. And those that would teach 
that it's God's will for some to be saved, but it's also God's will for some to remain lost, they're teaching a false gospel. They're teaching something that's not true. God is not willing that any should perish. God wants everyone to be saved. Ezekiel 33, 11. Back in the Old Testament, God says this, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God takes no pleasure whatsoever in the death of unrepentant sinners. No pleasure. God wants all men to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but the Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We pray for the salvation of the lost because it's good and because it's pleasing to God and because it is not his will that any should perish. It's really a two-part prayer. We, we, We pray that they're saved, but we also are praying that they'll come to the knowledge of the truth. They'll come to understanding. That's what we see back in verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. A person, a sinner, cannot be saved if he does not understand the truth. He, he must have the truth in order to be saved. So we're to pray that every man, and by the way, we understand this is not just men. Um, it's all people. We're, we're to pray that all people are saved, but we're to pray specifically that they'll come to the knowledge of the truth. Many people have understood the truth. They've heard it. They've heard preaching. They've read the Bible, and they've chosen to reject the truth. Many have. But many around the world have never heard the truth at all. They've never heard the gospel. They, they don't, many in, in our own country, in our own nation, in our own communities have never really heard and understand the truth. So we're to pray for all men that they will come to an understanding of the truth. What is the truth? What is this truth that they are to understand? It's the gospel. It's that we're all sinners, estranged from God, far from him because of our sin. We're far from him, but God made a way. God made a way through his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, who was the perfect, spotless, sinless lamb, who came to this earth, that each of us would have an opportunity to receive him, to have our sins paid for and be saved. And then three days later, he raised victoriously from the grave. That's the gospel that we are to pray that all men around the world, enemies, friends, family members, loved ones, those that we do not love so much perhaps, we're to pray that all men would come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray they'll be saved. But in order for them to come to the knowledge of the truth, they must hear the truth. In order for them to understand the truth, they must hear the truth. Paul addressed this in Romans 10, 14. Where he wrote, how then can they call on him whom they have not believed? And how, can they believe, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So we pray. We pray for the world. We pray for our missionaries like the Moors. And as we pray for them, we pray for their health. We pray for their legal things, like their visa situations. We pray for all of these things. We pray for their families. But we pray, specifically, we should pray that the people in the communities where they're ministering would would be saved and that they would would come to the knowledge of the truth. That is, that the the Moors would have opportunities to preach the gospel to those people and they would understand the truth. We prayed this morning for the Merediths. 
We ought to pray for them, not just in, not just a quick, God, we pray for the Merediths, but we ought to pray specifically for their needs, yes, for their financial needs, of course, for their health, yes, we ought to pray for all these things, but especially we ought to pray that people in Australia that are near the area where the Merediths are serving would be saved, that they would come to a knowledge of the truth. That, they, that the Merediths would happen upon people who have not understood the gospel. They would have opportunity to present the gospel. They would have clarity in the way they, they speak the message. That's what Paul asked for when he was asking these churches to pray for him. That they would, they would find themselves with an audience of people who are eager to understand the truth. That's what we were to pray for. That all men would be saved. That all men would come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray for them. We pray for our missionaries. We pray for our own communities. We pray for our families, that they would be saved, that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. And we especially pray, looking back at our text, for our leaders, for kings and for those in authority. We ought to spend time, valued time, praying for those that are in authority over us in every level, federal, state, local, every level that God would save them that they would be saved, that they would come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. This is what Paul is teaching to Timothy here about how the church there in Ephesus ought to operate. We ought to pray for them. But wouldn't it be hypocritical of us to pray these things, to pray for the lost, to pray that the, the people in our community would be saved, to pray that the people in our community would come to a knowledge of the truth and yet be unwilling to ever share that truth with others. Wouldn't that be hypocritical to say, God, we want to see all of St. Clair evangelized, saved, and yet we never share with anyone. Wouldn't it be hypocritical of us to, to pray for these missionaries and say, God, we want them to reach the world, and yet we are not doing anything on, on our end to help reach the world. So we ought to pray and we ought to preach. Paul is going to address that later as well. We're to be witnesses. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're to pray and we're to go. Just as giving money does not exempt us from the responsibility to preach the gospel to the world. So praying, although it is a responsibility just as giving is, it does not exempt us from our responsibility of being witnesses in this world. Paul was being tried by wicked governments. And if you read the book of Acts, he takes these opportunities in his trials to give his testimony, to preach the gospel to anyone who will hear, to these governors, to Felix, to Festus. He's, he's preaching the gospel to them. So that's the primary purpose of our prayer, that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And I have no doubt that there are people here listening even now, people in this room, maybe somebody watching online, and somebody has prayed for you. Somebody's prayed for you, this specific prayer for you. Somebody's prayed, maybe a, mo a mother or a father, maybe a, maybe a son or a daughter, maybe a pastor. Somebody's prayed for you specifically by name that you would come to knowledge of the truth and be saved. And today could be that day for you. The day that you would understand the truth, the gospel finally, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've rejected it. But today you say, Lord, today I surrender. Today I give to you. Don't delay. Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me. 
the Lord said, and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. So we ought to pray. Now, how can we pray with confidence that these prayers that we pray will be answered? I believe that there are a lot of reasons why we don't pray as we should. But I'm confident that one of the primary reasons why we do not pray as we should is because we just do not believe it will make a difference. We don't think our prayers really will make a difference. It's a lack of faith. If we believed that everything we prayed would come to pass, we would pray for a lot of things, wouldn't we? We would pray a lot, but we don't really believe that it will have any impact, any effect, and so we don't pray. But we can have confidence in our prayer. Verse 5 says this. This is where our confidence comes from. For there is one God. Now, this is a controversial statement in in itself, isn't it, around the world? To say, if you tell somebody that there is one God, that's a controversial statement. Because society says that you worship your God, however you want to worship your God. You worship your God however you want to worship your God, and I'll worship my God however I see fit to worship my God. And as long as we're doing it with the best of intentions, that's what really matters. If you want to worship Allah, you worship Allah. And if you want to worship the sun, then you worship the sun. We just all do what we believe to be best. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. But Paul is clear, God's word is clear, that there really is no controversy at all. There is one God. There are not many gods. There is one God. Isaiah 45, God declares, there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the only God. He's the beginning. He's the end. There's no need for any others. There's none before him. There's none above him. There is no other God. And anyone who is worshiping anyone other than God, Jehovah that we worship, is worshiping a false god. He's not a god. These statutes of wood that Paul talked about. And the oneness of God gives us great confidence in our prayers. Because when, when everybody gets to choose their own god, then we're putting more value on who we have chosen, who we have deemed to be the most trustworthy God. And our confidence then is not in the God that we're praying to, but our confidence is in ourselves that I've chosen the right God, the best God. But, in, but when we believe that there is one God, and when we understand there is one God, then all of our confidence is not in our own ability to choose the best God. It's in the fact that there is only one God, and that is the one that we worship. Paul stressed this to the recipients of this letter, that there's not a separate God for these different people. There's not a separate provision for their redemption. There's not a God for the Jews and another God for the Gentiles. There's not a God for the Hindus and another God for the Christians. There's not a God for the the Muslims and another God. No, there's one God. We can pray with confidence because there is only one God who hears and will answer. One God. Verse 5. And not only is there only one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Sinful men needed a mediator. Isaiah, the prophet, 59, verse 2, Isaiah writes this. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. 
and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. The sins of God's people had separated him from them. He turned his face so that he would not even listen to what they had to say. That was what Isaiah said to them. And so now we're seeing here in this passage in 1 Timothy that there is one mediator. God, because of our sin, God has turned his face from us. He is, we have created separation from God because of our sin. And now we're in need of one to come between, one to mediate for us. That's what a mediator is. It's one who goes between, one who resolves problems, resolves conflicts. And there is a great conflict between the, 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 the sinner and the perfect Savior. And there was something so severe that was between us because of our sin and because of his holiness. There was something so severe that no amount of money could ever pay to have that removed. The wealthiest human being alive could give everything that he had, all of his earnings and all of his future inheritances and pay, and it would not even make a mark towards the great gulf that is between us and a holy God. And so we needed someone, some perfect, spotless, holy, sacrificial lamb to come in between. And that person is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has a, a great interest in us. Verse 6. This is talking about Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. I think we're all familiar with the term ransom. It's money that would be paid to have a prisoner released, someone who is kidnapped. We want to have them released, and so we would, there, a, a ransom is offered. If you pay this amount of money, then you can have the release of the one who has been taken prisoner. And really, this, this is the gospel in a nutshell, the good news, that we were born Far from God because of our sin, we were born with a separation, we were born slaves to sin, servants of Satan, that's the way we came into this world, and we needed to be bought back, purchased, ransomed from our sin and restored to God. And the only one that could do that was a perfect, spotless, sinless one. And so Jesus Christ enters willingly to Take our sins upon his own body on the cross to bear our sins on himself, to pay the ransom that we otherwise could never afford. The price for our release was not money. It wasn't good works. No amount of good works could ever earn back or forgive our sins. I love what one commentator said about it. Man was the captive of sin. He was unable to ransom himself because absolute obedience is due to God, and therefore no act of ours can satisfy for even the least offense. The Son of God therefore became man, in order that being made like us unto all things, sin only accepted, as our elder brother, he should redeem us by offering himself as a ransom, a substituted or equivalent ransom. Our Lord did not deserve to die, but he gave himself a ransom for us. He didn't owe anything, but he paid our price. 
He had no sin, and yet he died on the cross for our sins, willingly. Verse 6, who gave himself. He wasn't forced to go. He wasn't dragged to the cross. He gave himself. That's how much he loved the world. But his mediation, being our mediator, didn't end on Golgotha 2,000 years ago. He continues today. Romans 8.34 says, It's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Even now, Christ is interceding for us. He, he, is our, he is our way. He is our way. He was our way to God. He, he paid the ransom, and still he is interceding on our behalf, even now, at the right hand of the Father for us. Who better to have interceding for us than the one who died, who willingly gave his life on the cross for us? Christ will never betray us. He gave everything for us. Even now, Christ is interceding. And so now we pray to the Father through the Son. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. And so we ought to pray for all men, especially for the salvation of the lost, that they would come to a knowledge of truth. And we can pray with great confidence, not because of who we are, you, you can't pray any more confidently because I've been a pretty good, pretty good guy today. I haven't really messed up too much, so I'm pretty sure that today my prayers are going to get through. We don't pray with confidence because of our own good deeds and good works. We pray with confidence because, number one, there is only one God, and we know that the one that we're praying to is the one who would have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. We can pray with confidence because we know that there is one mediator the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself, who is so passionate about the salvation of the lost that he doesn't just speak words. He doesn't just sit in heaven and say, man, I sure wish these guys would, would come to me. He cares so much about it. He's so passionate about the salvation of all men that he willingly gave himself to be the ransom for all. We can have confidence because of the one that we're praying to. We can have confidence because it's Christ who is interceding on our behalf. We intercede on the behalf of others. We want them to be saved. But we can know that as we pray and we intercede for our president or for our governor or for our uncle or for our aunt or for our cousin or for our child or for our parents or for the king in another nation, we, can, we intercede on their behalf, and we ought to. And we do that with confidence, knowing that there is one who is interceding on our behalf to the Father. And Paul concludes it this way in verse 7. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher. Verse 6, who gave himself a ransom... To be testified in due time. Verse 7, whereunto, for this cause, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Paul was commissioned to pray for the lost and to preach the gospel to the lost. That's what he said, I'm ordained a preacher and an apostle. He was going to pray for his kings, but he was also going to preach to his kings. 
He was going to pray for those in authority, but he was also going to give the gospel. He was going to ask God to let all men see the truth, but then he was going to do his part as well to get the truth out. We ought to pray. Not, be, not just because we have to, although that's a, that is a reason because that's a good thing to do. Because we're to love our enemies, we're to love everyone, we're to love one another. That's a good reason, but it's not the only reason. We're to pray because we want peace. We're to seek after peace. That's a good reason to pray for those, especially in authority, but that's not the only reason. We're to pray that all men might be saved because it is God's will. It is God's will that all men be saved. He's not willing. He is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone, all of them, should come to repentance. Not for a few. We shouldn't just pray for certain people. We're going to pray more for certain people. You're going to pray more for your, for your child to be saved than you would pray for some stranger's child to be saved, of course. But we're to pray for all, all people. We can't pray. I said this a few weeks ago. This doesn't mean that we're to pray for every single person in the world by name. That's impossible. But we're to pray without excluding anyone. We're not to exclude people based on their nationality, based on their skin color, based on their economic status. We're not to pray for some people because they could perhaps give us more benefit than somebody else might. We're to pray for all people. We're not to hold back our prayers from certain people. We're to pray for all men that they will be saved, that they will come to a knowledge of the truth. We're to pray specifically. Whenever we pray for people, we pray for our missionaries, let's pray specifically, God. We want, we want our missionaries to be well. We don't want them to get sick, but mostly, more than anything else, we want them to find people who are ready to be saved, ready to receive the truth, who will be saved. We pray for our missionaries that they would be bold in the truth and that people would be saved. Let's pray. As, as we pray together, I want you to pray. I want you to pray to God. I'm going to pray now. Then the piano is going to play, and we're going to give us a few moments of just silence. And I'm just going to ask you to ask God to help you to be a man or a woman or a child or a teenager of prayer, one who is faithful to praying for all people. Lord, we, each of us, are just so overwhelmed by the mercy that you have, Lord, that you found us in our sinful conditions and you looked down and you saw us in our sin and you didn't condemn us, but rather you came not to condemn us, but that we might be saved. Knowing that there was only one possible sacrifice that would be acceptable for our sin, you sent your own son to be the ransom. And this morning, God, we just want to thank you and praise you for it. And now you continue to intercede on our behalf. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to care enough for people. God, to get out of our selfishness. Stop looking at just our own selves and our own families, but to look to the world and to see them, Lord, the way that you saw us. And plead, Lord, and intercede for their salvation, Lord. And we pray for our, our communities, that we would pray for our communities not just to be saved, Lord, but they would understand the truth and that we would have opportunities to preach the truth to them. We pray for our missionaries that it wouldn't just be that, that people would be saved, God, but, but that our, our families that we love and support would have opportunities to preach the gospel to willing and ready ears. Help us to be a church of prayer.